things that you've done for us. We're nothing without you. You gave everything for us. We're always going to be thankful. And you know what? We've been through this entire week. about and I ask that you would that we give these things to you that we would give them fully to you and that you would just hold us and hold us up during, those, during every single moment right now I ask that you bless this time of teaching Use me, Lord. Speak to me. May I. I just want to be used as an instrument. And we also ask that you pour the, your Holy Spirit upon this room. That everyone will just be able to receive your word. And take in what those things are that you want to speak. Bless First Preservation Church and bless the other churches that are currently conducting services as well. Before I begin reading, I want to share with you. Um, you guys remember those old peanut cartoons, Snoopy and Linus? And, well, if you're if you're young like <laughs> Casanova over there. I don't know what I'm talking about. They're all cartoons by Charles Schultz. Um, in one of those cartoons, this is, this is what happened. Lucy demanded that Linus change TV channels, threatening him with her, her fist if he didn't. What makes you think you could walk right in here and take over, asked Linus. These five fingers, says Lucy. Individually, they're nothing, but when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. Which channel do you want? asked Linus. <laughs> Turning away, he looks at his fingers and says, Why can't you guys get organized like that? <laughs> Just like five fingers united make a strong fist, when the church is united, when we're united as a church with one heart and one mind, it's impossible for Satan to come and divide the church. And this morning, this morning we'll be giving, we're going to be looking at three passages. Uh, we're going to be seeing Jesus uniting, and that's a, that's the theme, overall theme of of, of t this morning, and what we're going to be seeing. Uh, in the first passage, we're going to be looking at Jesus is going to be uniting twelve men that will eventually be used in a powerful way to change the world. In our next passage, second passage, we'll see how Jesus had to explain that division brings weakness, and the unit and unity brings strength. And in the last passage, we'll look at we'll see how Jesus unites himself with believers by identifying us with him as his, as his spiritual family. I titled this morning's message, I tell this morning's message, Ties That Bind, because that's what we see Jesus, Jesus accomplishing in verses 13 to 35. As I prepared this message, my prayer and hope was that by the time we leave here today, 
that you come to understand Christ, that Christ creates ties that bind. Christ is the strength of those ties that bind. And Christ and the tie that binds us with Jesus is the, is the blood that he shed for us. So please, again, just uh, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 3 as I uh, follow along as I start reading in verse 13. Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Then he went up to the mountain and summoned those he wanted, and they came to him. He also appointed twelve. He also named them apostles to be with him, to send them out to preach, and to have authority and to drive out demons. He appointed the twelve. To Simon he gave the name Peter, and to James the son of Zebedee, and his brother John he gave the name Boan, Boan, Boanerges, that is, a, that is the sons of, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot who also betrayed him. I'm going to stop there um, for a minute. If you've ever wanted to know how Jesus picked his 12 disciples, we're told right here. We're actually given more details, more additional details in, in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 13, in how Jesus chose those 12 men. It says in those, in those two verses in, in Luke, During those days he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples, and he chose 12 of them, and he named them apostles. Jesus spent all night in prayer, asking God to guide him in picking these men out. So by the, morning, by the time morning came, he called them out, and they became his disciples. Now, just a little bit of background on the words. I want to give you a, a quick study lesson on the word disciple and apostle because sometimes those words are used interchangeably but there is a difference so in order to clarify the differences between the disciple and apostle I want to explain first what a disciple means a disciple in the original Greek means pupil and apprentice now it was later converted that word was changed into Latin discipulus mean and that word means a learner with a more and more commonly known today as a student so when Jesus talks about making disciples of all nations in Matthew 28, 19, he's saying to make them pupils, apprentices, learners, and students of himself. Now as mature Christians, as we grow in Christ, we have a responsibility to teach others, to disciple them, and to bring them to the knowledge of Christ. Come on in. Come on in. <laughs> um, so yeah, we, you know, we, we're told to disciple other Christians, to disciple younger, inexperienced Christians that need to need that need to grow in their faith. And as mature Christians, that's what we should do. That's what we ought to do. On the other hand, now the, the Greek word for apostle means one who is sent away. You see, while a disciple is one who learns from a teacher, an apostle is one that is sent by a teacher to deliver the teachings and messages. So just to be clear, these disciples later became apostles who were sent out into the world to deliver the gospel message in order to make more disciples. So what do we know about these 12 disciples? There's a lot of information out there, um, and I, 
I could break it down to each disciple and what they did and what scholars tell us about how they lived and where they taught and how they died and, and all that. But I, that would take me a couple days. You know, that would, that would be actually, that would be, take me a long time. But I, what I want to do is just mention real quickly um, a couple of these disciples and what they, and what they did, where they, where they were. Well, Philip and Bartholomew first. It is in the Gospel of John that Philip becomes a living personality. The New Testament gives us little information about Bartholomew, but tradition tells us that he was a great searcher of the scripture and a scholar of the law and prophets. What about James, the son of Alphaeus? James is also known as, as the lesser or the younger. He was the son of Alphaeus, or Cleopas, and Mary. He lived in Galilee. He was the brother of the apostle Jude. James was a man with a strong character and one of the most fiery type, and had a very fiery type of personality. Henry's Thaddeus. Now this guy, he was also known as Jude, Thaddeus, or Livius, son of Alphaeus or Cleopas, and Mary. His brother was, of course, James the Younger. He was one of the very little-known apostles and lived in Galilee. Tradition says that he preached in Assyria and Persia and died as a martyr in Persia. Now Simon the Zealot. From this background, we see that Simon was a, was a fanatical nationalist, a man devoted to the law, a man with bitter hatred for anyone who dared to compromise with Rome. Yet Simon clearly emerged as a man of faith. He abandoned all of his hatred for the faith that he showed towards his master. Sorry, he abandoned all his hatred for the faith that he showed towards his master and the love that he was willing to share with the rest of the disciples, and especially Matthew, the Roman tax collector. Now, I saw this interesting illustration. Someone came up with this fictional um, story or response to a resume that Jesus might have written to a hiring agency, you know, a hiring agency for his apostles. And I want to read it to you because I think it's I think it's pretty pretty funny and interesting. Now this is this is coming from the company that Jesus sent this resume to. To Jesus, son of Joseph, Woodcrackers Carpentry Shop, Nazareth. 25922 from the Jordan management from Jordan management consultants dear sir thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you picked for managerial positions in your new organization all of them have now taken our battery of tests and we have not only run the results with through our computer but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude and vocational aptitude consultant the profiles of all the tests are included and you will want to study each of them carefully. As part of our service, we will make general comments for your guidance, much as an auditor would include some general statements. This is, a given, this is given as a result of staff consultations and comes without additional fee. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, vocational aptitude, or the type of enterprise you are taking. They do not have the team concept. We would, we would recommend that you continue to search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. 
Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the, son of, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interests above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that it's our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus definitely have radical leanings, but they both register high scores in the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets, meets people well, has taken business, has, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All of the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. Sincerely, Jordan, Management Consultants. Well, obviously, we, we see that all these apostles, all these men, had differing personalities. They just were different. They, you know, we, just like us in here, we all, come, we all come from different places, different backgrounds. We were all raised and have seen different things, but we're united, you know, and that's what we see Jesus doing here with these four men. He was uniting them. Now, one lesson we can see in all this is the importance of prayer when making significant decisions. Now, I know all of us, at one time or another, have been have struggled with some kind of big choice, some kind of big decision in life. I know, I know we have, my wife and I have. And personally, there's been so many times where I've struggled, okay, what should I do? You know, how should I handle the situation? Well, what we see here with Jesus, he gives us the example, he shows us how to do that. Because picking these 12 men wasn't an easy, wasn't easy. I mean, it was, obviously, these men had to bear, had a great responsibility ahead of them. He understood this, and that's why he had to consult with God. And so he spent all night up in that mountain in prayer. And one thing we see with Jesus, and he tells us, and we should do it, we should, we ought to, have when we pray in making decisions and to have patience. Lamentations 3.25 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the person who seeks Him. When we pray, we shouldn't also be anxious. Yeah, you know, the stress is there, but we, we have to not be anxious for these things. God is in control. It says in Philippians 4.6, Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now, after you've made your decision, after you've made that choice of what, and, and after seeking God, and you feel that peace that, okay, this is what, this is direction I'm going to go, then have that assurance. Have that trust. Have that faith in Him. God says in Psalm 32, 8, I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give you counsel. Another observation I made in, this, in, these, in these verses is that Jesus chose regular people to do extraordinary things. See, to everybody that knew them, there was nothing that set these men apart from anybody else. However, Jesus chose them because there was, there was something unique about them that only God knew, and Jesus trusted in them. He completely trusted, you know, God revealed these are the men that you're gonna, 
are going to follow you, and they're going to be your disciples, they're going to be your apostles. And Jesus completely trusted in that. You know, and, and again, these were just men, just like any of us, people with feelings, emotions, with doubts, and we see that throughout the Gospels. You know, we, we do hear about their doubts and, and, and their questioning, and even, even one of them betrayed them. You may not think there's anything special or unique about you, but the Lord sees you for who you are. He sees every single one of you. He sees you for who you are and who you truly are. And not only that, but He sees the potential in you. You are unique and special in God's eyes. The moment you decide to place your faith and trust in Him, His plans for you are beyond anything that you think Matthew knew that eventually he would pen one of the Gospels that even to this day are still people are still reading people are coming to Christ as a result of the words that, that, that God God used them to write the Gospel of Matthew I mean all these men that's just one example but all these men went on to, to just change the world one last observation in, in this passage is that Jesus understood that when a group of people are, are unified under a singular belief and cause, no physical or spiritual enemy will be able to stand against it. As individuals, these men were just fingers, but as Jesus and they the Holy Spirit began to bond them together, they became that fist that nothing could prevail against. And that's my continual prayer here for Fresh Vision Church, is that the same spirit that bonded the disciples together will bind us to bring a spiritual, will bind us to bring a spiritual revival here at the pastor. And that, that revival will continue just all over the world. I mean, I, that's my heart again. It's just that, that the Holy Spirit will bind us together. You know, it's just to change the Northeast El Paso, all of El Paso, Texas. I mean, that's, that's my heart. And that's, and my prayer is also that that will be your desire too. That we'll be unified together with one heart and one mind. And that that spirit will guide us in those areas and places that need to be reached. Those dark places of, of El Paso that need to see the light of Jesus, that need to feel the love of Christ. That's my heart. Let us move on. I, I, We'll move on to verse 20. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they were not even able to eat. When his family heard that heard this, they set out to restrain him, because they said he's out of his mind. The scribes who had come down for Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub in him, and he drives out demons by the ruler of demons. Jesus returns to Galilee again, and probably uh, is in Peter's, Peter and Andrew's house. And this time, and this time, the crowds became larger, became bigger. They started following him, and now Jesus wasn't even able to eat. He wasn't even able to enjoy a peaceful meal. Well, it appears that some of his friends and extended family members felt that Jesus had finally gone mad or had completely lost his mind. They actually, we see here that they actually planned to grab him and maybe put some sense into him, almost like. 
you know, one of those interventions you see on TV. Sure, they could excuse Jesus for giving up the family business to be a preacher. Sure, they were concerned when they heard that Jesus was making enemies from both the religious and social establishment. Sure, they can just, they were, they had that concern about him. But, you know, they didn't go further than that. And sure, they can look the other way when they found out who he chose to befriend and who he chose to associate with. But the one thing they couldn't excuse or overlook was missing a regular mealtime. Being too busy to eat was the hair that broke the camel's back. And then in an attempt to, to turn the pressure on Jesus, the varsity squad from the scribes of, of scribes had come up from Jerusalem to check out Jesus for themselves. Now, prior to this, if you read, he had already dealt with some scribes, um, and they were probably the local scribes of the, of the region of the area, but now the bigwigs, the scribes from Jerusalem were now had now just come to the area to check out Jesus for themselves. And this was their verdict. This is what they came up with, that Jesus was forcefully evicting demons because he was being controlled by the ruler of demons, which was Satan himself. So not only were old friends and family members accusing him of being crazy, now these expert religious lawyers were accusing him of being possessed by the prince of demons. You kind of get the impression that Jesus was just slightly misunderstood. That he was just like, I mean, he was there and all of a sudden he's, he was getting accused of these things. Wow, I know for myself, well, you don't understand me. You don't understand what's going on. But look how he responds to his accusers. Picking up in verse 23. It says, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rebels against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is finished. On the other hand, no one can enter a strong man's house and rob his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he will rob his house. I assure you, people will be forgiven for all their sins and whatever blasphemies they may make. They may blaspheme, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Instead of defending himself, Jesus exposes their ignorance by, by, by using a plain old common sense parable. You see, no kingdom and no house will be able to survive if there isn't any unity within it. If this church or any church is divided among itself, it won't be long before there's a split, before just people start, you know, fighting and, and things go and, you know, go haywire. That unity is important in any church, in any organization. Now you can also apply this to any government, business, and even sports team. See, division will cause confusion. It won't take long, it won't take long for that confusion fusion to spiral into chaos and full-blown chaos is anarchy it's just complete anarchy the success and prosperity of any kingdom or house relies primarily on unity and unity is important it's key 
whether it's a household of two people or a kingdom of millions, unity is key. If that unity isn't there, everything's going to fall apart. So what we see here is, yes, Satan has a kingdom with him and is a prince of his kingdom. And other demons are his subject, subjects. As a prince of his demonic kingdom, he can be effective. He can't be effective if he's the one causing the division and confusion. Satan is not in the spiritual war to defeat himself. He knows that his time is limited. And with the strength and unity he does have, he intends to use it to destroy as many lives as possible. He intends to use it. He doesn't, he's not trying to destroy himself, destroy what he's trying to do in his evil, dark kingdom. So you see, it just didn't make sense. Why would, why would Jesus, why would Satan kick out another demon and just keep doing this all over the place? That wasn't his, his plan. Satan just, Satan's plan is just to destroy lives. Now, Jesus could have left it at that, but instead, Jesus tells those listening what it takes to disable the enemy. The only way Satan can be incapacitated is if someone stronger than him comes and ties him up. And the only strong man capable of overpowering the devil is Jesus Christ himself. We've already seen in a few occasions how much these demons feared him. Also in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, and in Hebrews 1, 3, those are just other samples of the power that Jesus Christ holds. Once Jesus overpowers a strong man, he uses the only thing that the devil can never break. He ties him up with the blood, with his blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. And now that he's bound, Jesus comes in and cleans house. He takes residence and takes away from the devil every valuable and precious thing that was never that was never intended for him in the first place. Then, with as firm as he can be, with as firm as he can be, Jesus gives these scribes a warning. He tells them in verse 29. And whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but he's guilty of an eternal sin. You see, in their pride, in their arrogance and stubbornness, they had begun to purposely reject the clear proof the Holy Spirit was providing that he was that the Holy Spirit was providing, pointing Jesus as a promised Messiah. So not only had they begun to ignore the evidence. But now they were attributing the works of God that he was doing to Satan. All those things that Jesus was doing, all those miracles, all those healings, casting out demons, they were attributing it to Satan himself. All those works, all those things that God was doing through Jesus, these scribes were saying that it wasn't, that it was God, that it was Satan actually doing them. Now, if that isn't blasphemy, I don't know what is. Attributing, giving... Giving credit to Satan for what God has done, and that's clear and blatant blasphemy right there. So why did Jesus consider the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit as an unforgivable sin? As an unforgivable and eternal sin? 
And this is the conclusion. It, it, what it is, is an attitude that deliberately refuses to accept God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ. It's a deliberate, again, attitude of the heart that refuses to accept God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ. It's a heart, it's the heavy heart of a person that The heart of a person never has forgiveness because it never wants forgiveness God's way. I'll say that again. It's the heart of a person that never has forgiveness because it never wants that forgiveness God's way. Now, I'll, I'll expand on that in just a minute. But you guys remember that line from, from Uncle Ben, that Uncle Ben told Peter Parker in the first Spider-Man movie? He says, with great power comes comes what? Great responsibility, right? Now, it took Peter Parker almost the entire movie to fully understand what his uncle meant. Living life as a Christian and living life as a faithful and obedient Christian also comes with great responsibility. Many times, those responsibilities will seem too heavy and difficult to bear, especially doing what God has called you to do and you're being misunderstood for that you're being misunderstood you're being challenged by the people you love and respect and it's it is it's heavy sometimes it's just too heavy to bear maybe you've been told by friends and family members that you're that you've completely lost your mind since becoming a Christian well guess what it happened to Jesus his extended family members said that he was crazy and they were going to take hold of him. Maybe someone you once respected in the church, someone you once knew in the church, made, and, you've been, and maybe you've been hurt by the church in this way, made an ignorant accusation about you. Well, guess what? It happened to Jesus too. What I see in verses 20 to 30 is a man who understood who he was and would not allow other believers to define who he was and what he was here to do. Jesus chose and called you because he has a special and unique calling for your life. He has a unique plan for you, for each and every single one of you. So be confident in who you are in Christ. Be bold when you are questioned about the faith that you have. But remember, do all things with humbleness and with a loving heart. Let me ask you another question. Is there someone other than Jesus ruling the house of your heart? Well, if you allow him, Jesus come, Jesus will, Jesus can and will come into your heart. He has the power and strength to bind up whoever is ruling there now. Jesus wants to take back what was what was meant to belong to him. Whoever is the ruler of your heart, whoever is that, that, that demonic evil force that is in control of your heart right now, Jesus is, we're, we're told that Jesus is stronger than, than that spiritual force, than that evil spirit. Jesus can come in, bind up that strong man that's in there, and take back what, what rightfully, rightfully belongs to him. 
the other thing, and this is important, as long as you have air in your lungs, as long as you have a beating heart, as long as you have a functioning brain, there's no sin too big that God can't forgive. As long as you, you're, you're alive, there's no sin that's too big that God can forgive. Unfortunately, the faith of many Christians have been shipwrecked because someone told them that they blasphemed the Holy Spirit, that they can never be forgiven. If that's you, don't believe that lie. You can come to the cross with a broken and repentant heart, and Jesus will forgive you for all your sins. You don't have to continue bearing the weight of your sin. Your life, you have, you know, all of us, I'm, and I'm included, I've blasphemed God. I've blasphemed Jesus Christ. There are times I've just, I've walked away from the faith for 10 years. Had I died in that condition, I don't know. I, 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 I can only, I, 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 it's hard for me to say whether, whether I would have committed that blasphemous, unforgivable sin. Many people have different theories, many different, you know, scholars have, and again, I, I could get into it, but it's just that it would take a long time to get into that theological discussion. But we have an entire, our lifetime to come to Jesus, to repent of our sins, to come to the cross and ask for forgiveness. And he will freely forgive us for all our sins. Every single terrible thing that you've ever done in your life. He will forgive you. You just have to come to him again with a broken heart. And a, re a broken and repentant heart. Now let me quickly finish chapter chapter 3. We have a little bit of time. Let's finish chapter 3 by reading these last five verses. Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him and told him, Look, your mother, your brothers, and your sisters are outside asking for you. He replied to them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about these two, and looking about at those who were sitting in a circle around him, he said, Here are my mothers, here, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Anyone reading these verses without understanding the heart of Jesus will get the impression that his response was insensitive and disrespectful. I mean, who does that? Who, you know, you, who, who would go out and just start, you know, be in public and then mom and dad and brothers and sisters come and say, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. I mean, initially, yeah, that sounds disrespectful and sensitive. But on the contrary, I have no doubt that Jesus absolutely loved his mom and half brothers. He absolutely loved his family. And if you think about it, though, he, he understands more than anyone what honor your father and mother, mother means because he was part of creating that commandment. He was part of it. He was there when 
when it was written on that tablet. He understood more than anyone what honor your mother and father was. Jesus' response wasn't intended to be a repudiation of his mother and brothers. If you look carefully, Jesus was directing his response, his response towards his 12 disciples and was actually intended for the crowds that he had, that had been following him. He had, that, that, that message was intended for them. You see, Jesus was now uniting himself with every believer who was doing the will of God by identifying with them as members of his spiritual family. He was now identifying, these are my mothers and my brothers and my sisters. Everyone who does the will of God are family. Yeah, he has his physical family and, as I said, his biological family, and, and I have no doubt that he loved them. It's a spiritual family. Those that are going to pray with him, those that are going to have their faith in him, those that are going to trust in him. This now is his new spiritual family. When you begin to sincerely follow Jesus, you become part of this new spiritual family of believers. A family where he identifies with you and you begin to identify with him. Unity takes place. We're unified together as a family. He brings us together from, even though we come from different backgrounds, as I said, from different upbringings, different experiences, what binds us together is the Holy Spirit. What binds us together is the blood of Jesus Christ. Because we know and we understand that he alone is our Savior. He brings us together. And, and in any other place, in any other area, I think there'd be problems, there might be issues, personality. And maybe there, there may be here, but you know, again, he that is living in us. He that makes us love and, and gives us the heart to love others, it's, it's greater. Greater than anything. And yes, this is, I consider this also my spiritual family. I know that even if I went away and I left my family here in El Paso and I had to go to India or I had to go across the world, I know that whatever church I went to, I would have a spiritual family there. I would have a spiritual family there as well. And I would feel welcome because wherever Christ is, wherever the Spirit of God is, you will feel and understand that that love will be there. Now I mentioned in the beginning that I tell this morning's message ties that line. Because that's what we see Jesus doing throughout the passages we cover. The ties that bind are strengthened by our unity in Christ. We're united together. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are united together in Christ. 
he's the one that brings us all together. And you know what? It's amazing in God. Everything that he has done, everything that he's going to continue to do. I'm just, I'm amazed. So far, I'm amazed. I know I'm going to continue to be amazed. So I don't know, again, I'm... Maybe, you know, I, I, I'm posting this video later on on YouTube, and if you're watching and, and you desire to be part of him, I'm going to be leading us in a prayer to bring you into that family. If you desire to be in that family, I will be praying and you're going to have an opportunity. But, and I want you to think this morning, as we leave, where you at? Who's the ruler of your heart? Are you praying for those big decisions? Are you taking Jesus' example when making choices and decisions for your life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we humbly come before you in thankfulness. apostles together and use them to transform this world. We thank you for bringing us together here right now as a new church. We believe that you will do an amazing work through us as well to change El Paso as well. Just like you used these apostles, just like the path we, we do, we pray for that power of unity. We pray for strength to go out there, to preach the gospel, to share the love of Christ in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our places of employment wherever it may be, guide us, instruct us, show us, illuminate us, Lord. Thank you for bringing us into a family. We do, we decide, we desire just to follow you and to do your will. so much and if you've never been part of this family if you've never been and desire to come in and join us if you desire to, for Jesus to come in and bind that strong man that is the ruler of your heart right now just pray this prayer in your heart Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. 
to you and come to the cross broken and repentant. Forgive me of my sins. And right now, receive that forgiveness. I believe Jesus Christ, Christ died on the cross for my sins. I confess with my heart and believe in my I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus died for me. Spirit into my life that I might again see you and know you. And I'll be able to understand who you are. Thank you.